How does Jesus extend his compassion to you and me here in 2020? Last week, the compassion of Jesus overflowed in his teaching, preaching, and healing ministry. But that was in the first century when Jesus was here. How does Jesus extend his compassion to you and me today? The Messiah, son of Abraham, son of David, son of God, raised up apostles. Normal human beings with faults and failures gave them his authority and sent them out to minister as he did. Why? Isn't it interesting that while God's son was laboring in the harvest, he said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, though his ministry wasn't deficient in any way, Jesus did raise up apostles, taught them, trained them, equipped them, and, and sent them with his authority into his harvest to reach people in places he himself would not travel. Circulation through delegation. I think John 14, 12 relates. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So in what sense will believers do greater works than Jesus? Certainly not in the sense that they will do something more astonishing than raising the dead. But greater in this sense, quantity and territory. One study note explained History proves that Jesus is not affirming that each believer will do greater miracles than he did. The church's witness-bearing mission as the body of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and its fruit among the nations will be greater than Jesus' work in number and scope. During his lifetime, Jesus reached only people in Palestine and a population small in comparison to the total number of people in the world. The church... Under Christ, her head, preaches the gospel to the nations and disciples people of every tribe and tongue, end of quote. Might the answer to how Jesus extends his compassion to you and me today be related to preaching? By the end of this sermon, I hope to make this point clear. Jesus pursues you and extends to you his compassion and love through the unique ministry of his imperfect but called and ordained ministers of the gospel. The application of these verses for us today, it's tricky because what happened in these verses was unique and unrepeatable and not for all believers. So we have to be careful with how we hear and apply these verses. So I'll begin with the uniqueness of apostleship. The uniqueness of apostleship. Listen to the unique role the apostles filled. In Ephesians 2, Paul said this to the Gentile church, verses 19 through 21. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
Okay. There is one household of God, and Jews and Gentiles alike are in it. Christ is the cornerstone who holds them all together. But notice that the apostles and prophets are the foundation upon which the household of God is built. Now consider 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and 29. Paul taught, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? And the answer is no. Only Christ's chosen apostles were apostles. God appointed the apostles first to serve in a unique and an extraordinary way to be the foundation. Well, what were the apostles supposed to do? Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Okay, God gave apostles to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. They did that in a unique way, different from the other offices mentioned by Paul, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. The apostles received the gospel from Christ, saw it with their own eyes, and passed it on to ministers of the gospel who preach it. One more passage, Acts 2, 42 and 43. 3,000 people just got saved. Luke tells us what these new believers did next. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Brothers and sisters, the lifeblood of the church continues to be the apostles' teaching. In the book of Acts, we see the apostles raising up men in local churches to teach and preach the apostolic doctrine. Now that the apostles are gone, it is within local churches that Jesus extends his compassion and love and care to his people through ministers of the gospel. How does Jesus extend to you his compassion today? Well, let me develop an answer. Number one, Jesus gave his 12 disciples unique authority as apostles, verses 1 through 4. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, or Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus called the twelve before the Sermon on the Mount. Before the Sermon on the Mount. But here he called them to himself to empower them and to send them to people needing the compassion of Jesus. Why twelve? Is 12 a significant number for anything else in Scripture? The 12 tribes of Israel, the patriarchs of the old covenant community of faith. Jesus was founding the new covenant community of faith upon the 12 disciples, the apostles. William Hendrickson said, 
That exactly 12 men, no more and no less, were chosen for this task must mean that the Lord designated them to be the nucleus of the new Israel. For the Israel of the old dispensation had been represented by the 12 patriarchs. End of quote. You see, Jesus wasn't raising up political revolutionaries to bring back the nation of Israel to its prominent position. He was raising up apostles to go and preach and teach the gospel of the kingdom, to teach and preach Jesus the Messiah, to unite Jews and Gentiles to himself as the new covenant community of faith. It was a unique time, a unique task for a unique troop. It all aligned with God's eternal plan of redemption, the gospel going from the Jews to the nations to fulfill God's covenant with Abraham. In verse 1, Jesus gave his 12 disciples exousia, or authority. Exousia is the power to act, but also the right to exercise that power. Now, who had authority over unclean spirits, diseases, afflictions, even nature? Well, easy. Jesus. We've seen that throughout Matthew. Jesus conferred his authority to his chosen 12 so that they would act as his agents. Now, some of you have experience as the power of attorney. Power of attorney is when one person, the principal, gives to another person, the agent, the power and the right to act on their behalf. Often a power of attorney makes legal decisions about the principal's personal property, money, medical care, things like that. Exousia is similar. One source explained about the term apostle, in the ancient world, the same title was used for secular officials commissioned to speak in the name of the Caesar or another authority. To disobey an apostle sent by the Caesar was to disobey the Caesar himself. Thus, to disobey one of Christ's apostles when he speaks for his master is to disobey Jesus himself. The apostles had unique authority, particularly in the exercise of the apostolic preaching ministry, for Jesus commissioned them to preach. This preaching comes to us today in the form of the New Testament, so apostolic authority is invested in sacred scripture. End of quote. The foundation of the church is the preaching and writing ministry of the prophets and apostles, which is recorded in sacred scripture, which must be preached for the salvation of God's people. Exousia was granted to the twelve, not to every disciple of Jesus. That's a significant point. The apostles, in turn, held a God-appointed and unique office. They were to proclaim the Christ whom they saw firsthand and were to replicate his ministry, teaching, preaching, and healing, or as verse 1 says, casting out unclean spirits and healing every disease and affliction. You see, Jesus planned to advance his kingdom through them. So Jesus chose them. Jesus showed them. Jesus taught them, Jesus equipped them, Jesus empowered them, and Jesus sent them. Jesus was answering the prayer of chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. Pray for laborers to go into my harvest, and then watch me answer that prayer to raise them up. Now, verse 2 
is the, is the first place the word apostle shows up in Matthew. Do we have apostleship today? That's a sticky question. Some Christians say yes. And in a general way of how the word can be used, God does still send out preachers of the gospel. But the office of apostle is very unique, and what we're seeing in these verses is unrepeatable. To hold the office of apostle, one had to meet certain criteria which cannot be met today. I found the following quote helpful. It's long, but listen carefully because I think it, it gives some good information. In the New Testament, 12 disciples were commissioned as apostles. After Judas's death, the church replaced the vacancy by selecting Matthias, as Acts records. To this number, Jesus added the apostle Paul as the special apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's apostleship was a matter of some debate because he did not meet all the requirements for apostleship set forth in Acts. The criteria for apostleship included being, one, a disciple of Jesus during his earthly ministry, two, an eyewitness of the resurrection, and three, called and commissioned directly by Christ. Paul was not a former disciple, and his vision of the resurrected Christ occurred after Jesus' ascension. Paul was not an eyewitness of the resurrection in the same way the other apostles were. Nevertheless, Paul was directly called to the office by Christ. His call was confirmed by the other apostles, whose apostleship was not in doubt and was authenticated by the miracles God performed through him, attesting his authority as an apostolic agent of revelation. By the late first century, the post-apostolic fathers clearly recognized that their authority was subordinate to the original apostles. There are no official apostles alive today as no one can meet the biblical criteria for the office or be confirmed by the original apostles as Paul was. The Bible is the only apostolic authority for us today. End of quote. And that last line would protect so many people from error and harm if they would simply believe it. The Bible is the only apostolic authority for us today. That's important to remember. Who were the apostles? Simon Peter, Andrew his brother, James and his brother John. They were all fishermen. Simple guys. I think we would have liked them. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew the tax collector. That's interesting. James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot. That's interesting. And Judas Iscariot, a motley crew. A motley crew, four fishermen, one militant anti-Rome political revolutionary who wanted to overthrow Rome, a tax collector who sold out and worked for Rome. I wonder what heated conversations Matthew and Simon the Zealot might have had. That would have been interesting to listen in on. A motley crew indeed. Jesus called them out of the world, transformed them by his mercy and grace, taught them, led them, equipped them, empowered them, and sent them out with his authority to take the gospel of the kingdom to lost people, to the lost sheep of Israel first, then to the nations. I think Mark's gospel sheds light on what apostleship was all about. 
Mark 3, 14 and 16 says this, and listen carefully. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, there's a lot in that statement. Number one, Jesus appointed the 12 when he was here on earth. Jesus made apostles. Two, Jesus named them apostles when he was here on earth. Three, Jesus appointed the apostles so that, and, and I love this, so that they might be with him. They, they spent time with Jesus. He was close to them. They, they were mentored extensively by Jesus, witnessed his miracles, heard his teaching and preaching firsthand, asked questions in private, and, and Jesus himself answered their questions. Four, Jesus chose and appointed them that he might send them out to preach. As ministers of the gospel of the kingdom, he delegated preaching to those that he raised up to preach. And five, Jesus gave them his authority, exousia, and they acted as his agents. How would Jesus extend his compassion to the nations which he would not go to himself? Jesus didn't go to the nations when he was here. He went to a limited amount of people in Palestine, but he raised up apostles, and those apostles went with his authority and gospel to Israel and to the nations. Jesus worked through his ministers of the gospel to extend his kingdom to all the earth. What does Jesus say later in Matthew 16? I will build my church. How did he do that? He does build his church through the proclamation of the gospel from the mouths of those he raises up in sons. Number two, Jesus sent out his uniquely called and commissioned apostles to participate in his kingdom ministry of compassion. Listen to verses five through eight again. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. This begins Jesus' second discourse, which will be in a while. Uh, first, the Sermon on the Mount, and now preparing these 12 disciples for a gospel mission. The term instructing is pretty strong. Leon Morris said it has a military ring about it. Jesus gave direct orders with authority to his agents who he was sending out with his authority. Jesus didn't want them going to the nations. Not yet. They, they were first to go to the lost sheep of Israel to preach the gospel. Later in Matthew 15, Jesus tells a Gentile woman, and this is very interesting, tells a Gentile woman, a Canaanian woman, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's Jesus. And that has covenantal tones. God promised to bless Abraham and his seed, but included in that promise, blessing for the nations. This Canaanian woman was being blessed. And, and in the New Testament, we hear to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So the gospel started with the Jews only, 
only to reach to the Gentiles. This, this theme, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, connects with Jesus being the son of David, who is who in his compassion, as the good shepherd, pursues his sheep. Remember that he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This sheep metaphor connects back to the old covenant. Listen to Jeremiah 50, verse 6. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, Isaiah tells Israel, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus came to the Jews to rescue them from their sins and sent out his apostles to preach the gospel of the kingdom to do the same thing. But their ministry, it wouldn't stop with the house of Israel, for God would keep his promise to Abraham. In Matthew 4, verse 17, Jesus preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now Jesus was conferring his messianic authority to the apostles to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and to preach what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, they went out with the authority of Christ to preach Christ and give the blessings of his kingdom to those who received them and received Christ in true faith. The apostles would do the work of their master so that the kingdom would enlarge in all the earth. Possessing the authority Jesus conferred to them, they were to preach and work miracles, as verse 8 explains. Their miracles would authenticate their kingdom message and would direct people to Christ the King. Miracles would be signs pointing to the authority, reign, and rule of the Christ who was inaugurating the kingdom. When they preached the kingdom, the miracles showed the people in practical and compassionate ways, whoa, the kingdom has actually begun. The time has come. The king is here working to save his people from their sins, as Isaiah 53 addresses. How does Jesus compassionately rescue people from their sins today? Certainly, by the proclamation of the gospel passed down through the ages from the apostles. The power of the apostolic witness to Jesus Christ has been given to us in sacred scripture. But who does Jesus raise up today to give voice to the authoritative word so that God's people receive the compassion of Jesus? And the answer that God gives in scripture is ministers of the gospel called and ordained to proclaim with authority the gospel of the kingdom of Christ and to lead the church in caring for one another, body and soul. God raises up shepherds in the local church to care for his beloved sheep through the shepherds that he raises up. Saints, not every believer is called to preach and care for souls. I think that's probably a big relief to many of you. Not every believer is called, not every believer is equipped, given the office 
and sent to preach the message of the gospel as God-ordained heralds. Of, of course, and don't get me wrong about this, of course, every believer should bear witness, should testify to God's work of grace in their life. But the office of minister of the gospel is the God-ordained office from which the authoritative word of God is heralded and spread throughout all the earth. Through the office of minister of the gospel, Jesus extends compassion to his people as those ministers preach the word of Christ and care for souls. Are you able, brothers and sisters, to make the connection between the apostles in the first century and the ministry of the local church today? Number three, Jesus emphasized that the grace of God in Christ is free. Verse 8, you received without paying, give without pay. The apostles received the gospel for free. It was a gift to them from Jesus. They didn't earn it, merit it, work for it, or pay for it. Jesus simply gave it to them for free. He gave them the kingdom for free. He gave them his authority for free. And it powered their apostolic ministry. It was grace upon grace upon grace upon grace for these guys. So they must offer the kingdom then to others for free. Because entrance into the kingdom cannot be purchased. It is a gift from God. You might remember the 70s song, Freely, Freely, by Carol Owens. Do you know that's a freely, free? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that. Okay, like three of you. This is going to fall flat. All right, well, that was the 70s for you. Crazy times, folks. Freely, Freely by Carol Owens. She took verse 8 and she applied it to every believer, which has some dangerous assumptions attached to it. The imperative in verse 8 was not given to every disciple at that time nor is it directly given to every believer today. Jesus said this to his 12 disciple apostles only. They weren't to be peddlers, merchants seeking profit from the gospel of the kingdom. The, the apostles were uniquely called and ordained as ministers of the gospel to herald the gospel for free because God's grace in Christ is free. You, you can't earn it, merit it, work for it, or pay for it. You, you can only receive it from God freely by faith worked in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And this relates to the next point. Four, Jesus promised that God would provide for his uniquely called and commissioned apostles. He would provide for them. They, they would give the gospel of the kingdom away for free, but God would provide for them through those who received them. Verses 9 through 11. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. That sounds heavy anyway. No bag for your journey, or two tunics, or sandals, or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. Jesus didn't want his apostles to gather up gold and silver, to store it in their belts for their journey, to take a bag, an extra tunic, an extra set of sandals, and an extra staff. The Lord would provide. So the point is, they were to take what they already had. No new staff or excessive stuff. God would provide for their ministry. They needed to eat. Well, God would provide food through others giving to them. 
They needed a place to stay. Well, God would provide shelter through others giving to them. Now, worthy people, that's tricky. Worthy people, it means those people who received the apostles well and listened to them favorably. They, they would provide for the apostles. Inns and hotels were not prevalent, and they could be very naughty places, so travelers stayed in homes with families by necessity. How would you like to do that on your next travel? Instead of Hampton, some family you've never met before. All right, Jesus also said to stay in the same home until they left that town, which reduced competition, jealousy, or favoritism. Man, this place is a dump, right? I'm heading over to the neighbors. They have a hot tub and better food. Well, no, Jesus wanted his disciples to show the host's love and to stay with them for the whole time that they were in that town. This required the apostles to trust Jesus' word. God would provide for their ministry. They would not get rich because the gospel must be free, but they would be provided for. Now, interestingly, and this relates to where I'm going, Paul took part of verse 10 and applied it to ministers of the gospel in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Paul wrote this, and you'll, you'll catch the quote. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Paul connected the ministry of ministers of the gospel in local churches to the apostolic ministry of the gospel. Not the same thing, but connected. Jesus' point was not that apostles and later ministers of the gospel should not receive provisions or pay. Jesus' point was that the kingdom must be offered to people freely. No one pays to enter. They receive the kingdom by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The ministry of the gospel is not sales. That said, ministers are paid today. I'm paid. You give kindly to me and my family. But technically, not in the same way as other vocations. Ministers preach the gospel for free, but the people support them by giving freely to enable them to preach the kingdom of Christ. Ministers of the gospel are not peddlers, salesmen, dealers, but they are supported by those contributing to the work of taking the gospel to needy people for free. You're partners. We are partners in what's happening here. Number five. Jesus promised to bless those who receive his compassion through his apostles. Verses 11 through 13. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. Now, remember that the apostles were agents of Christ. So to receive Christ's apostles with openness, kindness, hospitality, was to receive Christ that way. Worthy doesn't mean inherently worthy to receive God's grace and blessings, as if anyone has ever been deserving. Here, worthy means they receive the apostles favorably. They receive their ministry and they desire to help. In the case of hospitable homes, the apostles were to greet those people and let their peace come upon that home. The peace of Christ, through the apostles, blessed those homes that received Christ's agents. Saints, God blesses those who kindly and favorably receive Christ's appointed ministers of the gospel. The opposite is true as well. 
Number six, Jesus promised to condemn those who do not receive his compassion through his apostles. Those who reject the apostles and ministers of the gospel are rejecting Christ. Because apostles and ministers preach the gospel Christ himself is compassionately sending out. To, to oppose preachers of the gospel who bring good news of salvation is to oppose Christ himself and the compassionate work that he's doing in the world. And that deserves condemnation. Jesus was clear about this, verses 13 through 15. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, and I take that to mean not willing and ready to receive the gospel and the ministers who preach it faithfully. You're just opposed to the whole thing. Let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Folks, Jesus wasn't messing around. The apostles shaking off the dust from their feet was symbolic of judgment. God's judgment against that house or town. Sodom and Gomorrah is horrific history typifying eternal judgment. Those people were burned to the ground. And to think that people would reject the apostles who brought the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. That condemnation is worse. One source said... A town that does not receive Jesus' representatives does not receive Jesus and becomes spiritually defiled and as subject to judgment as Sodom and Gomorrah. End of quote. The peace of Christ was not to be on those who reject Christ and his ministers of the gospel. Jesus calls people to receive his gospel through his agents. And if they receive them and their gospel by true faith, blessings. But if they reject them and their gospel, condemnation. So to the question I pose to you, how does Jesus dispense his compassion to you now that the apostles are dead? Through the ministers of the gospel, he sends you in your local church. Jesus didn't come to the US, but in answer to the prayer of Matthew 9, 37 and 38, he graciously sent ministers of the gospel to the US. As the apostles faded away, elders, shepherds took the lead in scripture. You'll see that. Read Acts 20, Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3. Why did Paul tell Timothy, who was not an apostle, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Well, here's why. Because Jesus extends his compassion to his people through ordained ministers of the gospel, which Timothy was. So, do you excitedly receive the compassion of Jesus by submitting to your elders? I preach the word of Christ and others from this pulpit here. It's not my pulpit. It's Christ's pulpit. I preach the word of Christ so that you might have the compassion of Christ. Receive the gospel of your elders as the compassion of Christ. 
Receive it by faith. Receive Christ and his love for you. Don't refuse the riches of God's grace and compassion proclaimed to you freely every week. Jesus is loving you in and through preaching and soul care provided to you in the local church. May, may the Spirit help you to make the connection there. See, faithful ministers don't just get up and talk. They give you gospel so that through it, you may have the compassion of Christ. I'll end with this challenging word from J.C. Ryle. I really have benefited from that man. I like how he words things. It's an exhortation for us to receive the Christ of faithful preaching. Men are sadly apt to forget that it does not require great open sins to be sinned in order to ruin a soul forever. They have only to go on hearing without believing, listening without repenting, going to church without going to Christ, and by and by they will find themselves in hell. We may awake to find that in spite of our regularity and morality and correctness, we have lost our souls for all eternity. It will not save us to have lived in the full sunshine of Christian privileges and to have heard the gospel faithfully preached every week. There must be experimental acquaintance with Christ. There must be personal reception of his truth. There must be vital union with him. We must become his servants and disciples without this. The preaching of the gospel only adds to our responsibility, increases our guilt, and will at length sink us more deeply into hell. These are hard sayings, but the words of Scripture which we have read are plain and unmistakable. They are all true.